millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're discussing body positivity with Stephanie Yeboah. So, hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being here and joining us. Well, not being here because you haven't left your house, but, you know, being on this call. Um, For those that aren't familiar with, you know, who you are and what you stand for, give us a brief introduction. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very happy to be a part of it today. Um, So, yeah, so my name is Stephanie Yeboah and I am a London-based plus-size style um, and lifestyle blogger. But I also talk a lot about um, body positivity, fat acceptance, confidence and self-esteem, as well as mental health. Um, I also do some freelance journalism and I have a book, my first book coming out in September and um what else and yeah that's that's I think what I do just a lot of like um like the influencer stuff and then um some writing and then also um some activism thrown in as well amazing so I mean a lot of what you do what you stand for is about you know having your voice heard having women like you voices heard and kind of you know breaking down some of those barriers I suppose whether that's in journalism or whether that's um, in the influencing industry or in Mm. now publishing. So that sounds really, really exciting. Oh, thank you so much. I just think it's, it's almost like it's about time. Like we seem to be in this really interesting social um, phase where we're seeing a lot of black writers and authors coming out, which I think is absolutely amazing. And it's just so honouring to kind of be a part of that wave. And I'm hoping that it spans more than just a wave. I hope it's a case where we have a lot more um, black people within publishing and, you know, even with like influencers just being paid the same rate and just little bits and pieces like that like it's really cool to kind of be a part of that amazing um so one of the questions we always ask our guests is what makes you a dope black woman oh okay uh what makes (laughs) me a dope black woman I think um for me it is a mixture of me deciding to be very uh, vulnerable, showing my vulnerability in public and being quite raw about it as well. I think that makes me, oh, I feel so like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I feel like that makes me quite dope because I think that for a lot of us sort of growing up in our generation and our parents' generation, we've always been taught to be very strong, you know, strong black woman and don't talk about your struggle Mm. and you have to suffer through everything. And a lot of the times, a lot of these things that we're supposed to suffer through is mental health and so I think with me talking a lot about mental health and my journey through you know depression and me talking about um 
um, eating disorders, but then also how I, how I felt really unhappy in myself and my body, just choosing to be so, um, visible with my vulnerabilities as a black woman, I think is what makes me dope, I think. (laughs) I think, girl, own it, like, own it, like, you are dope. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so one of the things that has been happening over the last couple of weeks that I think has affected all our mental health um, and is hard to ignore is the um, the uprising of the Black Lives Movement again, um, the death of D- George Floyd and everything that's followed. So as someone who's quite active on social media, as someone that has a platform, how would you say, you know, the last couple of weeks have affected you? It's been uh, a roller coaster, I think, not only for myself, but just for a lot of black people in general, um, because it's like we've had to kind of collectively deal with this trauma again. Um, It's been very tiring trying to simultaneously deal with what's happened, even though it's America. I just feel like we we have this collective pain and trauma that we all share. So when one of us, regardless of if it's in another country, you know, is killed or murdered, we all feel it because we all share that same unfortunate sentiment of uh, racism and microaggressions and and prejudice and Mm. all of these things. So dealing with that and knowing that our pain has always been irrelevant and insignificant and our lives have always been insignificant, dealing, kind of dealing with that has been really, really mentally exhausting but then on top of that you have not only you know your typical run-of-the-mill online racists but then you also have that section of of social media where you have the the white guilt uh white people that you know they feel so sorry and they want to try and do better but in a bid to try and do better they then lean on black people for support and knowledge Mm. and education can you tell me how to not be racist can you tell me how to be an ally and I'm just like, I think, you know, I tried as much as possible to 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 write resources and blog posts. And I have um, a blog post that I wrote recently and how to be a good white ally um, because I was just so tired of my DMs just being full of how can I be an ally? How can I do this? And the onus should never be on black people to tell white people how to fix a problem they created. Mm. Um, and so it's been tiring, I think, for a lot of us who do have those platforms, but then also people that may not have platforms, people just, you know, walking around being black, you're suddenly like made to feel like you're the spokesperson for all black people when it comes to like your white friends. And so it's just been, um, a lot of emotional labor and, uh, yeah, it's been a lot. Mm. So how do you how do you balance that as a black influencer? You know, because you want to talk about these issues, they're important. You want to be able to offer a safe space and offer some answers. But at the same time, girl, I just want to talk about bags and about clothes and about fashion. Girl. And I just want to like, how do you how do you do that balance? How do you manage it? Do you know what? It's hard because and I spoke about it on my Instagram today, actually, because there are a lot of us now that are trying to go back to talking about the things that we talk about, you know, beauty and fashion and lifestyle and dating and all that kind of stuff. But because of the atmosphere, it's really difficult to kind of um, balance the two. But what I said today was that social justice issues have always been 
woven within the fabric of everything that I do anyway, whether it's to do with race or intersectionality or feminism, um, weight, um, diversity, inclusivity. I have been talking about this and writing about it for like the past 12 years. So I was just like, well, guys, if I start talking about bags, I just need for you guys to know that I I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Okay. I've I have been, been here. Like, yeah. I've been here doing the work. So nobody should come onto my Instagram caption to say, oh, so all of a sudden you're talking about bags. Fam, some of us need to pay our rent, you know? And, you know, by working, <laughs> with, working with brands and things like that is all a part of what I do on top of the journalism as well. And so um, I always try, I've always tried anyway with all of my posts and things like that even if it's supposed to be wearing like a dress or whatever the case may be I always try and have some kind of deep-ish caption to go with it because I'm not a fan of sort of um just quite superficial captions even though like there's nothing wrong with it but with me I always try and enforce some kind of deeper message even if it's like a funny one um so that's what I'm trying to do moving forward is I'm starting to slowly introduce the um, topics that I normally talk about but then also there's like a little subliminal message via caption or Instagram stories or something like that so it'll take some time it's just harder for the white influencers to be fair I mean I don't really know for them they can do what they can it's going to take them time to to do it because already people are like do you know what I think this whole issue has opened up the floodgates in regards to white influencers being allies because now everybody is watching them yeah so it's like if they post up a fashion post people are in their comments like why are you posting about fashion you're supposed to be talking about black lives matter <laughs> and i'm just over here like boy i don't have that issue so <laughs> you know, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely think shan and i have probably experienced the same thing just in terms of us yeah i was gonna say that try, yeah trying to be more careful about you know, is it time for us to introduce some humor or is it time for us to, you know, get be serious? Get right. Yeah. But I think yeah. one thing that I've learned, one is that I think everything that, similar to what you said, Stephanie, everything that we do is political in some sense because it's black centered. So it's yeah. difficult to go astray. And one thing I think I learned from Shan, actually just about a situation that we had this morning was that you kind of have to stand in your truth and you can't be responsive to every single thing that As happens. In, yeah. I was going to say off the back of that, um, literally what you said, that I think that's something that we've had to deal with in terms of the content we post on our Instagram, because obviously we have quite a big following on there, so which, which means we have an opportunity to make change. But it's like we have a following because of the content that we put out. So um, It's a catch-22. Yeah, because it's like people... Obviously, we're about blackness, um... Um, primarily but it's like if we keep putting out content that's about black lives matters and stuff like that i'm sure we'll still gain followers it's not been about the following but it's like where do people go for escapism then? yeah like, exactly I personally on my feed I'm, i don't want to keep seeing that all the time and um i i know some people take like social media breaks and things like that but for the job world that i work yeah. in i physically can't do that so if i can't do that i have to be muting other pages and so it's, it's kind of like getting that balance right of like you're not ignoring the issue yeah. you're tackling or tackling it but also you're still doing what you're, you would authentically do as a brand. Yeah. I think it's like staying staying in your lane as well, right? Like, I, I struggle with this because I always feel like there's more that I could be doing. But the objective for us was always to create a safe space for women to be in. And so if that's what we're aiming to do, then we have to be true to that as well by making sure that they do have a sense of escapism to, to, to latch on to. 
exactly and i mm. think as long as you like let your followers know via like ig story or some kind of statement that this is always going to be in the forefront of our minds we have no choice because we are black this is a reality that we live in from day to day um as long as your followers know i think i feel like as long as you are able to give some kind of like statement that look we're going to go back to posting this and continue being a safe space and escapism then i think that's all good and one of the things that I, I love about being black as well is that even in the depths of trauma we always find we always manage to create <laughs> some kind of joy or yeah. we m- not make fun of it at all but there's always like a joke that somebody says and everyone just starts cracking up or like we manage to turn that pain into something positive and yeah that is a video that we posted on our page and I remember Leanne saying to us, like, do you think this is too, um, do you think it's too soon to post it or not? And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically the video of a girl getting, a woman getting arrested in America. Oh, and then she starts, you like, lose your job. Yeah. <laughs> you are about to lose your job. I love that. I love that. But it's like the response to that, people are really receptive. It got a lot of interaction and engagement on. So it was like, there is definitely, it is definitely about finding that right balance with with the jokes because that is something that we're used to doing. Isn't yeah, it? no, definitely, I agree. In terms of balancing that as an influencer and feeling that level of responsibility, how do you find the balance between like protecting your own energy and like being drawn into the arguments with people about race or about uh, you know talking too much to people about their white guilt or you know what I mean because I feel like I get sucked in all the time and I'm constantly battling with people and then I feel drained and then yeah so it's yeah. it's it's a difficult thing to tackle it's really difficult I mean the last week alone I was in this whole it wasn't even a drama but it was just this white influencer that uh because what we've seen this week, especially within the influencer space, is there's a lot of performatism. So you have, you know, white influencers who have probably never had a black friend. They don't follow any black influencers. But all of a sudden it's like, I want to suggest these black influencers and I'm trying to learn and <laughs> I want to do this. And then I put up the black square. So there was a specific influencer who is known for being quite problematic. And um, she had a black square up and then she deleted it the day after. And I know that a lot of people were deleting their squares because obviously it was like, you don't want to fill up the Black Lives Matter hashtag with just black squares. So a lot of people were deleting and then just writing something else. But she like outrightly deleted it. And her page is like very aesthetically pretty. And so the general kind of conversation about that was that she wanted to keep her profile looking really pretty. But the the before she deleted it, she wrote a caption about Black Lives Matter and, you know, how it's so hurtful and she wants to do better and, you know, it's just disgusting how black people are treated. The gag is, is that that caption she stole from a black woman who had written that article on another website. All we had to do was copy and paste and the the exact same words came up. There was a black woman who was talking about the incident. No, you're not good. Fam. (laughs) No. When when there's like white treachery afoot, we're better than this FBI. Okay, I was just like, I'm not not having this. I'm not having this. So not only did she steal words about Black Lives Matter from a black woman, but then 
somebody it wasn't me did she attribute it though she she didn't even um quote it nothing she like passed it off as her own and people were in her comments saying this is so beautifully written she was like thanks i said oh wow (laughs) i said eh wow and then you so she went on to well it wasn't me but somebody went on to her twitter obviously dug up old tweets where she was being very anti-black and very racist of course i called her out because i was sick of it and so it spanned like a whole week of her followers versus my followers she came out and said to everybody because she's a really really popular influencer she said that i was bullying her i said you know what the optics of a little white woman saying that this you know big plus size black woman is bullying her the optics look really bad sis like you can't you're you're putting me as the aggressor when all i'm doing is holding you accountable for your racist actions you can't be doing that um and it, it it's taken a toll i've had many sort of conversations like this over the past week and so for me it's so difficult to log out because it's like on top of that i'm always wanting to look for updates on the movement or on the protests or is there a new fundraiser that i can retweet or give to and and all of these things and so it's like I haven't really like slept properly and I'm always on my phone now this week and I'm really trying to learn how to break away from that so I just started watching Desperate Housewives again I'm watching it from the beginning <laughs> literally I'm on, I'm watching it from the beginning I've got my Nintendo Switch and I'm just trying to like literally switch off no pun intended um and mm. just do little bits and bobs around the flat as well to kind of like help me not think about it because it's a lot Mm, you need that balance in your life it's so hard because as you said you know you can miss one day on twitter and it's like you know like when you miss one day in school and that's the day where everything it all pops off that's what it's like on twitter you miss one day and it's like honestly did you hear what happened with so and so did you hear what happened with so and so and it's like no i was locked up blah 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 mum came and slapped the teacher (laughs) (laughs) literally Um, So on this topic of brands and a lot of brands have, you know, put out statements and, you know, they got the black screen and the white writing Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying we support Black Lives Matter. Where do you think the line is? Like, how do you tell an authentic one from an unauthentic one? Because I saw... Um, was it PG Tips the other day? I love that line. I'm thinking, but what have you actually done? Like, what you... Like... You actually, this is very much, this is just like a perfect advertising tool for all brands everywhere right now. So like, how do you, how do you tell an authentic one from one that's generally just advertisement? It's a tough one, you know, because I think for some of them, so the first thing that I do as I look on their social media, when I see how much black representation is on their feed. So a perfect, a perfect. No, I love this. I love this. A perfect (laughs) example. Let's talk about in the style. Yeah. In the style <laughs> is a fast fashion Drag brand. Them. No, because I can't like Drag them, sis. I can't let in the style is like they are they, I was gonna say I need the, the knowledge because I wasn't even aware. They are the worst. So they are a they are a um a fast fashion brand like Boohoo Pretty Little Thing. And um they don't or hardly use black models. They are known for collaborating with influencers and like people on Love Island with like um, collections, clothing collections. They've never collaborated with a black influencer. 
Um, they have never really used black people on their grid. So the last time a black person was on their Instagram was February 4th because I physically manually went through their page to have a look. So February of this <laughs> no, year. <laughs> no, because we needed receipts. Yeah. They, the, the owner... come with the facts. Yeah, the <laughs> owner of, 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 of this brand, Adam, we have clashed so many times on Twitter and Instagram because he's very anti-black. But yet they have released a T-shirt in solidarity with black people about Black Lives Matter. And I was like, Adam, you can't be doing this. Like they're literally <laughs> using it as a he's way selling. to sell more products. And it's not genuine because they don't give a damn about black bodies or black representation and so do a lot of these fast fast fashion brands who are releasing you know all of their um you know apologies and their i'm sorry we need to do better but but i think do you not find it confusing though because to me when i see these stuff like when i see a lot of people um because i've seen a lot of influence for example um call out other brands like why aren't you doing something yeah but for me i find it confusing because it's like we're calling them out for not doing something, but I'd much rather them not do it and be authentic yeah. to that than them do it and it be and it be half-hearted. So like when we're seeing these brands that like you said, for example, in the style doing this black square, but actually we 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 can see from you know your FBI skills <laughs> that it's not it's not organic. Yeah, it's like I'd rather you just stay there and be quiet. Just be racist with your chest, just, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least let me know where you stand so I know how That's to operate title, with you. Just be racist. Yeah, with your be chest. racist with your chest because I don't want to go into a situation where you're being performative and then I'm spending my black coin on your racist brand. Like yeah. I want people to be. <laughs> Uh, transparent with their rubbish you know what I mean and Jackie Iner mm-hmm. actually did like this whole campaign I think this week where she wants brands to actually come out with their figures and you know say no, she, listen I love this. she's amazing <laughs> she was like all right all the brands that are posting apology tours we want you now to release the figures of how many black people work in higher management at your HQs how many people work um, in higher management in your stores and not a lot of brands have come forward to, to yeah. release the information. And it's so telling. It's so, so telling. And so, yeah, I think trying to decipher who's real and who's not, it's just a case of past behaviour. Like, have you spoken up about diversity and inclusivity before? Have you had diverse campaigns or press trips? Um, what have you done to kind of forward the the um, highlighting and inclusivity and visibility of black people and ethnic minorities? And if I haven't seen that pattern of behaviour, then I get a bit suspicious. But then also if mm. it's a brand who is probably, you know, either like a heritage British brand who kind of cater to middle-class white people or brands that are just very white and they're using this as an opportunity to learn, then for me, I kind of put them on my radar and I'm just like, okay, moving forward, I'm going to watch every single thing you do. I'm going to watch your grid. I'm going to see who you take on press trips and see if you're actually committed to change. And if you're not, then I kind of know what you're about really. Mm. Yeah, and the gag is that like so many of these fast fashion brands love the black aesthetic, love black culture, mm. love what it stands for. Certain oh. brands, yeah. Let me not call Listen. anyone out individually. Pretty little, little thing. thing. Okay. Pretty little thing. <laughs> they will be sending you a newsletter. <laughs> What's up, doll? First of all, first of all chill out because their little black hand light hand thing oh, oh, oh my goodness you're the first ones to be doing it you've got be- and even like when you look at um 
I'm, I'm scared mad, sorry. I need to stop <laughs> this but here's the they thing. They literally deleted that picture and there was nothing, I swear there was nothing after that. They, they were just like, let's pretend that never happened. So when that, when that actually came out, like I saw the criticism on Twitter and then somebody asked me a question. Um, they were like, oh, Steph, have you ever worked with them? And I was like, no, they've never offered to pay me, but they pay a lot of plus size white influencers. Mm. And the head of PR for Pretty Little Thing started attacking me on Twitter. And then she started oh getting dragged. And then, because she's a mixed race woman, but I think she grew up like in the country somewhere. Like she's very like posh, like very like, very white. Mm. Um, mm. And so she DM'd me and she was like, Steph, can we have a chat about this? Because I'm getting dragged on Twitter. And I was like, cool. So we had like a 20 minute conversation and I literally just- Well, like on the phone. On the phone, yeah. So I told her everything. I told her- They're about always the... like, oh, let's take this offline. Let's yeah, take this offline. I told her about the black- <laughs> No, bitch, let's do a Zoom Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, I, I, I spoke to her about like the black fishing. I was like, you guys keep using white women who are trying to be black or like tanning themselves to be mm. black you you know you guys hardly work with black influencers and when you do you pay them significantly lower than the white influencers your whole aesthetic is built off of black culture but yet you never use black models in your marketing yeah. or anything like that so you have to do a lot better than using i mean that 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 photo that they put up was just it was a joke. It was a joke. I mean, literally, all of those brands pretty much do it because they're uh, Fashion Nova does it as well. They don't use many black models either. And I feel like even if this is your moment of enlightenment, then you don't need to create new merchandise to prove that. You should be redirecting us to the Black Lives Matter merch so that we can be supporting the organizations that have been investing their time in yep. whatever it is that they're doing. And that to me is a distinction. So even if you're new, like you should be acknowledging that you don't know anything about this and saying actually guys, these guys the guy these guys know what they're doing. So let's listen to them or yeah. I agree. Or mm. even things like a lot of these brands pre all of this going on have been doing lives yeah so like plt they've got like a whole podcast that they have on youtube that gets numbers and since this has started they've done the podcast live on instagram i've seen it with other black influencers that i know and love yeah so when they're doing stuff like that why not use that live to educate people or to learn why not use that live to your mass audience to talk about things relating to black lives matter and the the culture but instead you want to be putting up little photo you're out of order Yeah, I'm all the This is the Dope Black Women podcast. So in terms of like, you know, being an influencer and all of this is going on. Um, I mean, first of all, I just want to like start by how would you describe like the definition of body positivity? Like, yeah. how would you best describe it? So body positivity was a movement that was started. It was first started in the 1950s slash 60s. And then it kind of died down a bit. It didn't really sort of kick off um, um, as much. But it was started by black women and Jewish women back then in the States. And then it kind of like died down. Nothing really sort of came of it. You know, we had all of these trends in the 70s and 80s and 90s and, you know, surfer chick and then we had like what was it um heroin chic with like kate moss and you know all of the body trends kind of right um, super skinny super skinny all of that kind of stuff and then in 2000 and i want to say 2009 2008 2009 when we started seeing the emergence of platforms such as tumblr um that's where the body positivity sort of hashtag slash movement really started to gain prominence so 
the body positivity hashtag was a hashtag that was added on to the fat acceptance hashtag um, because people wanted to get more visibility. So they started to use both hashtags to kind of cover a lot more ground. And it was started by black plus size women and black plus size um, queer women, both in the UK and in America. And it was a, it was supposed to be a movement that amplified and offered visibility to people whose bodies don't aren't privileged or don't fit the aesthetic of what society considers beautiful, which is normally quite slim. So the movement was supposed to sort of offer visibility to larger plus size women. So I'm talking about women who are like a size like 20, 22, 24 onwards, um, women that are, aren't abled as well. Um, and for a while, it was great. Like it was such a an amazing community. And it was a community that I came across in 2014, um, where I could talk to women and see women who were shaped like me, who were talking about their body struggles and the stuff that they'd had to deal with in regards to fat phobia. And it was also a place for us to like share new brands that were creating plus size clothes, bikinis and underwear and seeing all of these women live their best life and just being unapologetic in their skin. Mm. It was a great safe space for fat women to celebrate ourselves and our bodies. And then um, it started to go mainstream and a lot of influencers um, started using the body positivity hashtag, um, which was fine. But I think once plus size influencers started to get a lot more popular, that's when we saw brands starting to be like, hmm, okay, we can sort of cash in on this and capitalize off of this. So we had a lot more brands um, creating plus size clothing, which is great. Like that's one of the amazing things about the movement is that now we have mainstream brands who have um extended their clothing range so like with asos they um started asos curve in 2013 which was amazing well for me anyway because i love asos curve um (laughs) so that was one of the great things about it but once it went mainstream what we noticed was that the types of visibility that um was happening was catered towards smaller plus size women. So women that were hourglass shaped, women that still had um, body privileges in that they could go out in the street and not get stared at, laughed at, be called fat, um, have people just generally be nasty, not have their healthcare compromised. um, And all of these little sort of microaggressions that do happen when you are plus size or larger plus size. And because we live in a world where within the media and and publications and things, there is still a need for sex to sell. It became a thing where, okay, we're going to be open and more diverse to bigger people as long as they're still sexy, as long as men find them attractive, which is, again, normally hourglass shape, big bum, flat tummy, big boobs, then we're going to sell this idea of inclusivity and loving yourself. But as long as, you know, you're still found attractive. And so the movement has kind of become a bit of a free for all now. So it's kind of like anyone can join. And um, it's no longer become a safe space for larger plus size women because we were kind of Mm. pushed out very quickly after that happened. So a lot of us have kind of gone back to the sort of radical fat acceptance, fat, um, you know, anything that has the word fat, because we notice that people will not join a movement that has the word fat in it if they really aren't about that life. So we, um, yeah, we, we were kind of pushed out of the movement. So it's not really a movement that I 
tend to, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm a part of it anymore because it doesn't represent me, but I always talk about it and I talk about its origins and how I would love for it to go back to what it was supposed to represent, but we're too far gone now in that it's kind of, Mm. it's a shared experience now and there are people who genuinely find solace and comfort in that movement now. So that's a great thing. But for me personally, it's not, yeah, it's not a space that provides any kind of uh, safety net for me anymore. Mm. So that was like, that was such a long like ramble. (laughs) No, it was was not a ramble. It was a history lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting to hear like um, you give an overview of the journey. And especially when, particularly when you're talking about um, more recently, what's been happening in terms of how it's changed because that's something that I've noticed a lot like when I look on websites um because I actually find that the curves that can have nicer clothes sometimes mm. so I'm always looking at there for inspiration a lot but I but I, sometimes I look on sites and it's like the people that are in curve aren't actually curved it's the same model that I see from mm. the I don't want to say normal section from the I'm main the, the, the straight side the main, or main yeah yeah like it, it's sometimes it's the same models or sometimes it's as you said, where it's not people that are curvy, just people that have got really, really big bums and big breasts. And it's like, if you don't have that and you're not curvy, so where do you fit in? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of, it's a sticky one because I know, well, I know from like industry tea that um, a lot of the models, <laughs> a lot of the models that are used, they pad them up. Stop. So they're straight size models. Yeah, but then they put padding on them and that opens up a whole nother issue because it's like, well, why can't you use somebody that's a size like yeah. 18 or 20 because that's when you have the situation where we have plus size models who aren't actually plus size they're just like again yeah I feel a bit awkward using this phrase but like normal size like they're kind of like straight size and what that does is it takes away jobs from models who are plus size and it takes away jobs from um, plus size models who need to have that representation so that when I log onto a website and I want to buy a dress I want to see how that dress looks like on somebody with the same shape as me yeah. not somebody that mm. is the same shape as like Nicki Minaj or like a Kim Kardashian type hourglass shape that's going to look different than on somebody that has a bit of a belly and some rolls or some side fat or whatever the case may be and so I think when it comes to like the modeling industry, it's just so effed up in the way that they determine what is plus size and what isn't. Like, it annoys me that people that are a size 10, 12 and 14, they are considered plus size. Mm. Like, it's annoying because it's almost like, well, they're not. They they deserve, like, they should be in the, you know, traditional sort of model body shape. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think... When it comes to plus size, plus size is, is literally sizes that aren't available in the mainstream. So that's when it carries over to plus. And for like 97 to 98% of mainstream shops, they stop at a size 18 or to 20. And then anything above that is considered like plus. So if you go up to like a size 16 or 18, I I would want to naturally see you on um billboards and on um magazines and in um you know on websites modeling alongside people that are size six eight ten as well like I don't understand why it just feels like people that are like midi sized have kind of been left out and I don't think that's fair at all Mm. like they I want to see somebody that's size 14 modeling you know straight size clothes as well and it's just created so many different like divides it's just long 
Mm. Like if you go if you go on a website and look at clothes, honestly, it is such a such a weird perception of reality. It mm. messes up your perception of reality because you'll go and look at some clothes, yeah, and this girl, you know, who's supposed to be quote-unquote average, quote-unquote, you know, from the main collection, and she's wearing a baggy top, and you look at the size, and it's like model wears a size small. And I'm like, eh? <laughs> so she's wearing a top that is baggy, and it's a size small. You're just like, rah. How skinny is this girl? Yeah. But you're led to believe that that's just average. Yeah. Like, that that's just what the average girl looks like. It's crazy. Yeah, it's mad. And it, it, I can only... I mean, I, my sister is plus size. She's uh, somewhere around a 22, 20. And we'll go shopping together. And it le- I see the, the impact that it has on her when we go to, like, 15 different stores. And she can't find anything and and it's not even that she can't find anything it's the attitude of people and the sense of entitlement that people have to say well why would you expect us to have this in the store yeah. you know and it, it's it's so i'm interested to know like how you reshape that narrative and how you rebuild from what you've said in terms of like the body positivity movement not being for you anymore it's such a difficult one because even like touching on what you just said regarding the stores, there are only about six shops in the UK that do plus size clothing in store. Everything else has been moved to online because it's almost like it's almost like where their dirty little secret like, oh, we don't want the main public to know that um, we do plus size. And I think was it Zara or no, it was Topshop. Topshop were the ones that came out a few years ago to say we don't want to do plus size because it will cheapen our brand. And I was just what? like, first of all, nobody's oh, wow. nobody's looking to come to your overpriced um, top shop anyway. <laughs> but equally, yeah, I was like, equally, I was just like, well, at least they said it with their chest, so I know to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, and it's the same with there. Zara. Yeah, Zara's the same. They they're... Zara sizing's rude though. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm they so have some abnormal sorry. sizing. Zara and H&M. Really? H&M. H&M, I'm like five size. Like, I don't even go to H&M for jeans. Yeah, I remember one day I went to get jeans and I started crying. Oh no. I was like six sizes up. No, I'm not relying. It just wasn't, every jean did not fit. Every jean did not fit. I said, what the hell, yeah. I've heard that about H&M, apparently. Like, they're really bad with their sizing and their underwear sizing as well, apparently, is really bad. Yeah, I yeah, think they only no. go up to, like, 16. I don't think they even go up to 18. Maybe. Yeah, they do have a plus size, but the plus size is so bad. It's, like, grandma clothing. Like, yeah. that's another thing with, like, clothing is, like, they assume... I think the fashion industry assume that plus size people all we want to do is cover up and that we don't deserve to have tr- on-trend items as well. Some of us are out here wearing batty riders and crop tops and mesh. <laughs> as We're should, out here as trying to live our best lives. Like we want to be fashionable and current as well, but it's not mm-hmm. everyday empire line dresses and like moo-moos <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, you know, like those t-shirts with butterfly print on them and just like stuff, stuff like that. I'm just like, I'm tired. I just want a mesh crop top. Like, why do I have to go round the houses for it? And like, it's something either an eight-year-old to wear or an 80-year-old to wear. Yeah. Like, there's yeah, no between. Like, do you remember like, I don't know if you guys remember like Tammy. Remember like Tammy girl? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like... it's <laughs> and the and naf, yes. naf, Yeah, and like Mark One and stuff. And it's like, it's that kind of clothing, but like for adult plus-size women. And it's just like, 
well, no, we should be able to have the same clothing. Yeah, and that's why I really, really like ASOS Curve because they actually just continue their mainstream into their plus size. They don't create a new bunch of clothes for plus size women. It's literally like they have an item of clothing that starts at a size like six or four and goes all the way up to a size 30 which yeah. I just, I love. Like, that's one thing about them that I can't fault. They're really, yeah, really inclusive. inclusive. Um, mm. Yeah. So I just want to go back a bit um, to something you said earlier around um, that women like you, because the body positive movement has become so kind of vague almost, that, um, you know, you've chosen to take on this word fat as like a positive. Mm. How did you kind of, how did you get to that place? Because I think... It's one of those words that still makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's such a loaded word. I think the word fat is so loaded because it's loaded with so much um, hate and animosity. And it's now, it's used as an insult, which it didn't really clock for me until maybe 2016. Um, when um, one of my other friends who's plus size, like we were talking about something and she called me fat and I was like, what? But then I had to kind of like really internalize it and be like, why am I being shocked that she called me fat? I am fat, I literally have fat. And so it took me about a year to kind of really be comfortable with calling myself that because on one hand, it's like, it's literally a descriptive, a descriptive word. The same way you'll call somebody thin or athletic, short, tall, black, white. It's a descriptive word of a body type. There shouldn't be any kind of emotion attached to the word. But unfortunately, because of the rampant fat phobia that we have in this society, especially in the Western society, that, that it's used as ammunition to bring somebody down. Um, people equate fatness with being ugly and being um, unattractive, um, being subhuman, dehumanizing, all of these um, really horrible words because they see somebody that is plus size and they and they they automatically think she must have brought this on herself. So therefore, we're going to treat her like rubbish because she made herself look like this. Um, she let herself go. She lacks discipline. She must be dirty. She must be all of this. And a lot of the time, it's not. Plus size people were not a monolith. Mm. we can live you know successful lives we can be in great relationships um being plus size doesn't mean or being fat doesn't mean that we are dirty or stupid or you know smelly or dim-witted or all of these other things that are synonymous with the word fat and it's just a case of trying to use that word on myself so that it's like I take all of the the Power. The power, yes, the power out of it so that, you know, I've had times when trolls online have said, oh, you, you know, you fat this or you fat that. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I am fat. What, like, what about it? I don't see it as a negative <laughs> word. I literally don't uh, see yeah. it as a negative word. So what more, like, is fat the worst thing that I can be as a human being? Because if that's what you're saying, then that's a shame because I okay. think I'm really yeah. awesome. And, you know, fat should never be the worst thing a human being can be. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. there, people can be beautiful regardless of, of body shape. So for me, when I do refer to myself as, as fat, it does make other people who are slimmer feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and so the first thing that they say is, you're not fat, you're pretty. And I'm like, 
You can be both. I never said I, I was ugly. Yeah. I didn't say I was ugly. Oh my god! That, that's that's your internalized bias about fat people. Tell them again. Equating. Tell them again. Yeah, equating fatness with being ugly when that isn't the case at all. And so, um, myself and a few other influencers within the space are really trying to just reclaim the word and turn it around and just make try try and make it neutral again instead mm. of being loaded with so much hate and also being used as an insult that's an interesting point actually because one of the things just touching on what you said was that i come from i'm from jamaica and culturally black mm. women or not black women but a bigger women are definitely loved on like jamaican men are known Lads. for be for <laughs> loving big women right it's a thing but then i think my question is like, how does that, how do you swing from the pendulum of being kind of overly sexualized or only being seen as sexy because you're big to the other end of the spectrum, which is what you're talking about, which is being thought of as unattractive and like finding that like middle ground. Like, how do you tell when you're interacting with people of the opposite sex or people who are trying to, <laughs> you know what I mean, to find the difference between being fetishized or Ooh. just being accepted for Ooh, who you child. are. Ooh, child. Here we go. Here we go. Well, man, if I speak, anyway. Let's, okay, so, <laughs> so it's an interesting one because I've always said that when you are plus size um, or plus size, especially when you're plus size and black, you exist in this space where you are hypersexualized and fetishized but then you're also very very invisible as mm. well and it's such a difficult thing to kind of process because on one hand when you're plus size and black there is the race there's the misogynoir and the racial uh power plays that come into it when you're being chatted up do you know what? I don't, should I say this? Do you know what? No, I'm going to say it. I've, it's not something it, that I've say said. <laughs> no, it's, say not, it, it's not. Do you know what? It's such a, I don't want to say controversial, but it, this is just my personal experience. And I haven't really spoken about it online because I just know what black Twitter is like. And I just, I can't, I can't deal with that. But I find it interesting that you said that, you know, in Jamaica, like big women are really loved and like, in so i'm from ghana and mm, in ghana it's it's similar but like it's a specific type of body shape and so a lot of the time it's big bums and um flat ish kind of stomach big boobs and with me i find like if you fall outside of that you're still subjected to a lot of fat phobia a lot of my fat phobia and abuse, unfortunately, has come from black men. Mm. Um, I have never been out with, gone out with, chatted up by a black guy in my life. It's always been white men. Really? It's always, yeah, since, you know, I was old enough to start looking at guys like, you know, being attracted to men in that way or whatever, like 14 or 15 or whatever. It's always been white men. White men and uncles, actually. Yeah. It kind of goes between, <laughs> like... I mean, uncles always there. be there. You're kind of 40, be there no matter what. 45, 50-year-old uncles that wear double denim and house <laughs> shoes. You know, they shoes say... Shoes and no socks. You know, they're just coming up with, like, hey, baby girl. Like, anyway. But, Hi, um, daddy. It's, it's a, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, that. And it's always made me feel a bit sad because it's not like I'm here just picking and choosing or it's not like I'm here closing myself to, off to specific people. 
people i'm literally open for anyone but it's like it's always She's like text me just now, take text me, me man <laughs> but it's always um you don't see me you know it's always um white men that have i guess shown interest and it always never goes anywhere but it's just i find it interesting because then they assume because i'm fat and black oh, you must be really dominant in bed. You must be really aggressive. You must be really sassy. And I'm just like, first of all, that's just, you shouldn't assume or like fetishize me in that way. Um, It's such a degrading feeling to kind of know that people only really like you because of, um, they see our bodies as this really weird, um, fascinating kind of thing that they want to explore. So they don't, it's not even like, they see you as beautiful. It's like they see you as this kind of like zoo animal thing that they want to, a thing to conquer, a thing to kind of tick off of their list. Um, And it's just such a horrible, horrible feeling. But equally, I do know that there are plus size women out there who enjoy that kink of, you know, going through fetishization. It makes them feel empowered it makes them feel more confident and I think that's amazing um if those are the kinds of um kinks that some women are into but for me because in terms of my whole romantic life it's for the most of it it has been based on being fetishized and being you know humiliated and stuff it's just not something that I'm into and then when you go on to like the other um the other realm of it it's like you're either hypersexualized or you are molded into this kind of asexual domineering mammy character mm. who is always helping white people live their best life and we see this in movies we see this in the help yeah um we see this in like even in cartoons like tom and jerry you've got like the mum the the, the mammy cam- character whose face is never shown um we see this in Gone with the Wind. Like yeah. we always play like the nurturers. We play like the really asexual again, like very like I'm living to to help this privileged person live their best life. There's never really been a medium of just having somebody who is plus size and successful and is in a like healthy, great relationship. Um, it's always just like swings on one hand or the other and the conversations that I've had with other black plus size women about this has been so heartbreaking because the stories that I hear is always you know I went out with this guy and he was just being um really horrible in how he spoke about my body he assumed that I was going to be into this and this he kept talking about my skin color and I'm just like we deserve more than that you know we deserve to to feel wanted and loved in our bodies and to feel worthy and you know it's just I mean I I think fat phobia when it comes to romantic things it just stems everywhere so I, I always find it interesting when um I remember I used to talk about body positivity online a lot and one of the responses that I would get a lot was well black women don't need body positivity as much as white women because black women you guys are loved and your bodies are loved in your community and I was like that may happen in some countries but for the most part there is still a lot of fat phobia from black men towards black women like yeah. it's not an automatic thing our bodies are still seen as disgusting by our own people so I don't want there to be this assumption that you know we are like the the ideal because for a lot of countries and a lot of us that's not the case yeah no I, that's the thing is that even in jamaica the very same woman who will be um you know 
sought after in in one instance in the very same instance will be shamed because she is fat you know and it's this weird thing of but two seconds ago you were calling her attractive but because she doesn't like you now she's unattractive or now she's this or now she's that and so i yeah i question the intent behind that attraction all the time but i don't yeah i don't obviously you know your experience is 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 validating of that Mm. yeah it's a weird one it's it's because there are you know people out there who genuinely find plus size women attractive but it's so difficult to to spot who is real and who is genuine. And I, I know I've spoken about this on uh, quite a few times where I talk about the fact that I went out with somebody a couple of years ago and they seemed to genuinely really, really like me. And then we slept together and then I didn't hear back from them. And to me, that was just like, eh, I guess that's just, he wasn't interested. And then I found out a few months later that he was paid to go out with me as a fat <gasps> person. Um, I think I saw you blog about this. Did you do a thread on Twitter? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did a thread on that. That is so fucked up. It it went viral, didn't it? Yeah, so that was, which I did. I think that's how I first heard of you, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like that's how a lot of people heard of me. (laughs) The thing is, because I didn't know, I didn't think it would go viral because a lot of the people that I follow on Twitter are like from the body positivity community. And so that's very normal in our community where people are men. Um, dare their friends to go on a date with um, a fat girl um, or sleep with the fat girl and then they get paid for it so in this case in my case the guy was apparently paid 300 pounds to um, sleep with like a fat girl as a dare so then I was like okay I'm gonna write about this to refinery 29 and also get paid because both girls will be getting paid today please I had we to kind of winning, I had boom. to take that pain and just spin it into cash because yeah. boy <laughs> but um yeah and so we have instances like that where it's like it's so dehumanizing because there are so many plus-size people who feel like in order to be worthy they have to overcompensate and I think that's where you get like I don't know if you guys have heard like just stupid things where people will say oh you know fat girls give better head and all of these kinds of things it's almost like we have to overcompensate in other areas because it's like oh my gosh this guy's gonna see me naked and he's gonna hate me or he's gonna not find me attractive so let me be better at this one thing so that I still have that worth and it shouldn't be like that we should all be able to be in a place where we can feel love and attraction and desire Mm. So like, I want to open up this conversation about, um, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase um, body neutrality. Yeah. So this idea that, you know. No. Okay. <laughs> I was good. I was about to explain it, Roshan. <laughs> um, but basically the idea is that um, at some point, and obviously, you know, it's not a one size fits all. It never could be, especially as you said, when you take into consideration black women, fat women, etc. But the idea is that the ultimate aim eventually is that your size and your weight shouldn't be something that affects your self-worth and your self-value, that it shouldn't be on a list of things that make you attractive or unattractive. Mm. And it's like, as someone who is a body positive blogger, as someone who is a plus size blogger, how do you balance between opening a space for plus size women and having conversations about fat phobia and having conversations about I'm comfortable with my skin, I'm fat and this is who I am versus also 
it's also not the only fabric of my personality and my identity and there are a hundred other things that make me great that make me Steph Mm. um do you know what I mean like how do you how do you go about like what's your mindset towards that kind of thing do you know what I'm so here for body neutrality I think it's great I think it's like communism it's great on paper (laughs) 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 it is absolutely great in theory However, in order for body neutrality to exist throughout, we cannot have fat phobia because as long as we have fat phobia, I don't think we can ever get to a place where people can just see their bodies as bodies. Um, I think people that benefit from body neutrality are mostly people that do have bodies that are privileged bodies that are abled bodies that you know are a a subject of desire and and all of these things but it's difficult for me to just feel no way about my body when I'm forced to I'm forced when I go outside I'm forced to really think about my body and how I take up space so I could be in my house and I could be like oh you know I don't really care about my body it's just a vehicle for me like I can dress it well and all of that stuff but it's not it doesn't make me as as a person it's not you know the be all and end all of my personality I'm so much more than my body and then I can go outside and then get on public transport and then I will be automatically made to feel aware of how big I am um, because people will not sit next to me or people will um, try and take pictures of me but then forget that the flash is on so then I can always see it. Um, people will take pictures Are of you. Joking? Yeah, this is all happen- This happens all the time. Or when you're eating at a restaurant and then people will look at you or people will, again, try and take pictures of you. Um, people will just say like give like little digs about your weight here and there so it's like it's hard for me to just not think about my body when society always constantly makes me be aware of it all the time um so and I think that's why with my Instagram and things like that I do like to be a bit lighter in terms of talking about fashion and lifestyle and things because as much as I want to promote self-love and you know body positivity self-care and um you know loving your body in whatever state it's in I also kind of want to remind people that as well as body stuff I'm I'm also do this so I also love beauty and I also love technology and I love comic books and I love you know all of these other aspects that make up Steph it's not just about my body and um you know the self-love there also has to be an acknowledgement of all of the other aspects of your life that that make you you so I try and find like a nice balance between talking about um body politics and then also talking about the other things that I'm really interested in as well because I just think especially when it comes to influences and stuff there was a little thing going around a while back which I'm glad was kind of nipped in the bud where you know how you'll have um you'll have fashion influencer or you'll have beauty influencer or you'll have plus size influencer there were some brands and PR companies that started saying plus size beauty influencer and I was just like, why do you need to add the plus size onto beauty? Like mm. beauty is beauty. Yeah. We don't need a category like plus size technology influencer. Like why are you adding the plus <laughs> size? I can just like, I can just like tech. I, you don't need to add the plus size to the, the plus size brings nothing to my review of your iPhone. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. And so 
what I myself and a lot of influencers as well who are plus size style influencers want people to know is that we are more than just our fat as well we are human beings we are you know people that have the same sort of interests and dislikes as everybody else and so I think it's really important to have that balance Mm. Mm. Like when I when I thought about when I thought about uh, body neutrality in the past, you know, often often I've smoked, and <laughs> like I'm like, guys, you know, they're just vessels. Like it doesn't even matter the fact that like our heart works is so amazing. It's all about your soul. It's all about yeah. what's on the inside. And then I wake up the next day and be like, well, that was a nice thought, but that's not how the world actually works, yeah. Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I, th- I think it's it's such an amazing, amazing, like, ideology. Ultimately, that's how we should be. And I do think, actually, in some civilizations that have been untouched by the West, I honestly think that's how they just, like that's how they live so you know where you have like these documentaries of like really like old civilizations that are still like like I don't know in like um the Amazon like near the Amazon Mm -hmm. there are still some Mm -hmm. tribes that are like untouched by like western human civilization and they're just like walking around just living their best life yeah, they, like they don't care about their motorbike. Yeah. They just yeah, They don't care, and I just feel like they like they have their own standards of beauty, but it's like it's not based on how much you weigh or like, you know, if you've got like a tooth missing or something. It's literally, I am attracted to this person because they can gather wood or they can like, <laughs> they're good at like I don't know, I don't know. They're good they at have like good life washing clothes. Yeah, they have good life skills. Like it seems to be based on their skills as opposed to how they look, and. I absolutely love that. And I feel like that's such a perfect um, uh, example of body neutrality. Um, but like I said, I think in order for that to exist, we need to stop this hierarchy of beauty and judging people on how they look and having also fat phobia as well. But who knows when that will ever <laughs> happen? I don't know. Yeah, I was about to say, do you think we'll ever actually reach that point? Um, I think in order for... <laughs> in order for us to reach that point this is gonna sound so bad there just needs to be a hmm, let me put this prop let me say right i think in order for us to kind of happily and safely implement all of these new social justice changes that we're currently going through in terms of acceptance and celebrating different cultures and sexualities and body types there's just a certain generation that just needs to go Like, I feel like that's the answer to a lot of problems. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just a generation that just needs to slowly just, you know... Or maybe quickly needs to go because I feel like there's more influence for them to have on the the next generation. It's like, let's just get rid of them before they have a chance to even... They just need to... Yeah, they need to... Yeah, because their ideologies and thoughts, you know, some of them are insidious and bad and some of them are just a product of like, well, this is how it was in the old days. It's like, okay, but you can go now because I feel like <laughs> I feel like millennials like the millennials and is it generation gen y we are really the ones that have really started this whole sort of change in terms of um social policy how we think in terms of uh just being a lot more open-minded and accepting of everybody like I think we are the ones that really have started that and like like our parents, I guess our, some of our parents are slowly moving towards the idea. Some of us anyway. But everybody older than that, I just feel like, mm, 
Okay, just go. It's fine. Go now. <laughs> go now. We need to we need to change the world for the better. You're not making it any better by your bigoted views on stuff. So just yeah. to um touch on the idea of intersectionality, because obviously historically I think there have been waves of of fashion that's been dominated by white women that have been more um accepting of big larger sizes or bigger sizes, you know, if we look back to the Renaissance period, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So is there an element of intersectionality that affects the way in which you are treated as a black woman, but also as a black woman that is plus size, as opposed to your white counterparts who are also plus size? Um, oh, that's a good question, actually. I think, I feel like it's always going to be a bit more difficult because of like misogynoir as well. We, for the most part, when I've spoken to other black plus size women, there is this impression that we are very, very, very aggressive and we're not um, friendly and we're just very, like, hard. Mm. Um, And I think that more plays into, like, the racial elements of things. Um, And so it's really difficult to kind of get that visibility and get that... um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, get the visibility that we that we need and want because again, there is this assumption that oh, you know, black women are very confident and very self assured and sassy, ugh, you know, all of that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's like they don't need body positivity or they don't they don't need visibility because they are so confident. They're so confident, and a lot of the time we're not because we are not seeing people that look like us on TV, <clears throat> on TV all that much. And and I think part of the reason why Lizzo has bit has blown up is because there are so many black plus size women that see her and they're like, wow, this mm. is the first time that I've seen somebody who looks like me in a positive light, just absolutely slaying. Like she's the first black plus size woman on the cover of Vogue. And that was 2020. Like, it's so, disgusting, but also amazing. Here's the thing. Takara, if you remember from Tyra Banks, was yeah. also on the cover of Vogue. I think she was the first black woman, but she had to lose weight. Like, that's the thing. Whereas mm. I feel like other white plus size models don't feel that pressure to lose weight. In fact, they probably embrace it even more. Whereas Takara lost, I think, half of the weight that she was on wow. before she was able to get on Vogue. And this is after winning America's Next Top Model. I don't know if she was asked to lose weight during that time, but definitely if you yeah. look at her now versus when she won, this she looks like a, a regular sized, yeah. in quotation marks, that's, model. That's mad. And I think we always like have to work. And I think this just goes for black people in general. We have to work 10 times harder to get half the amount of success as white people do. Um when it comes to influencers as well we get paid this was one of my main gripes with pretty little thing because they pay their black plus size influencers less than their white plus size influencers Mm. the same white plus size influencers who are emulating black culture doesn't make sense and so that was one of the things that i spoke to the pr about i was like you're literally using all of these white women who are black fishing us but you're paying them more it doesn't make any you know any sense whatsoever so I still feel that there's such a discrepancy between black plus size women white plus size women I'm gonna say this it's gonna sound really controversial please disagree with me if (laughs) if you do but let me be careful with my words here because I'm not generalizing (laughs) and I'm not saying all of them but there is a you're making my heart beat 
this is and this is again this is not all but this is just when i have because i have so many like groups with other black plus size women and we always talk about like stuff that we've noticed and stuff and it just seems that there is a preference within black men to go for white plus size women as opposed to black plus oh. size women. Oh, yeah. 100%. There is a huge preference. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's fine. I was getting yeah. with you. We there see was a preference second of... breathe again. <laughs> and there is, um, I don't know if you guys know the um, plus size model Tess Holiday. That's what um, I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, so she was the one that did the article. She did an interview with The Guardian a few years ago and they did a photo shoot in Peckham, I think it was. I don't know why they took her there, but she went to Peckham. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, Durham. They, she, was doing a po- she was doing a photo shoot and apparently uh, uh, in the interview they were like, oh, as she was taking pictures, there was a, a black man that walked across the street and like wolf whistled her or like you know was saying that she looked attractive or something and Tess said that I always forget that black men love me but then I come to these kinds of areas and I'm remembered I remember why and that picked up a lot of heat at the time um for her saying that it picked up a lot like black twitter were were in arms they were like how can she come over here and say that you know black men love her in like you know black neighborhoods and da 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 but then I thought about it a couple of years later and I was like well she's kind of right like Black, and I think it's, I don't know if that's more of a, like a colorism thing or, you know, is it because uh, I'm, that's still something that I'm trying to figure out, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of love for, especially darker skinned black plus size women. Um, it's an interesting one, like for, for the ones that I've spoken to um, in terms of friends and like other people that follow me who are darker skinned, like dark skinned, it's always just white men that tend to go for darker skin plus size black women and then it's black men that go for white plus size women it's crisscross i just mm. don't i don't understand it i've tried to understand it but it makes my head hurt so i'm just like <laughs> you know what it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> no but it is it is kind of like I never can say this word right. Fetishization. Yeah. I'm the same. Fetishization. But yeah, that word is the only way I can make sense of it. And even then, like, it does, it's still, yeah, it's still this kind of, I don't know, because if you challenge someone on it, I don't think they would even be able to answer themselves. They'd be lost for words. Yeah. Like, well, any justification you're going to give is going to be rooted in some sort of self-loathing for me. Like if you say, oh, it's just my preference. Or if you just say, um, you know, growing up, that's what I was used to. I just, I don't find that to be an acceptable justification Mm. to not expand or beyond, go beyond what you've, what you've learned in your household or in your you know in your upbringing like you know better now so do better. exactly exactly mm. Mm. so i want to ask about your book mm-hmm. you're so excited <laughs> i love it <laughs> um tell me like what is kind of this book about and what can people expect from it okay so do you know, it's so weird that I'm getting to like talk about it now because it was like such a secret for so long. Um, but the book is called Fatally Ever After, which I'm very happy about that. T- I was so gassed over that title <laughs> coming up with it. <laughs> it's such a um, thank you. And basically it is a it is my love letter to plus size black women. It talks about how plus size black women navigate certain 
um, areas within the intersections that we've been dealt. So it's not quite a memoir. Um, each chapter is split into three different sections. So in the first, for instance, I talk about everything from mental health to dating to media to appropriation um, to healthcare and how it affects plus size black women specifically. So within each chapter is like a little memoir that provides context for the th- um, the theory that is the central the central bit of the of the chapter, and then at the end of each chapter, it's quite practical. So it it's me giving advice or you know how to be confident or how to navigate um, in this specific scenario if you look this way. So it's got a bit of me in there that provides the context to the theory. And then we've got the practical. And then also what I've done is I've interviewed loads of plus size black women around the world about their experiences within different things. So there are some black plus size models that I've um, that I've uh, uh, interviewed. And then there are some women who talk about, you know, their experiences within healthcare and how badly they've been treated. I was trying for the longest time to try and see if I could interview Lizzo, but it just wasn't happening. That was just like Aww. a pipe dream, man. I was really, really trying, but we d- we weren't able to do it. But for me, it's just it's a it's it is like a love letter to black women, just talking about all of the ways in which you know this world has just you know tried to to silence us and put us in a box, and it's just me saying, look, we are worthy of love and respect and desire and here are the ways in which we are going to go about um doing it and so um it talks a lot about body positivity as well so there's a whole chapter on um what is body positivity i talk about where it comes from and how it's changed over the years um and so yeah i'm just i'm i'm hoping that people really like it it's it's like a i guess some people could call it a bit of a manual or like a guide to you know, navigating this tricky westernized society when you look a bit different. Um, and so, yeah, it's coming out the 3rd of September. How exciting. Amazing. Very exciting. And do you think, I just, okay, book, so, sorry, just quickly, with the book, is it something that um, is primarily aimed at people who can relate to the topic or if you're not, if you're not um, quote unquote fat, will you still be able to relate oh. to it? Yeah, so um, I wrote it in such a way that people, if you're not like plus size and black, you can still read it because it will be very educational as well. Um, I made sure to kind of put in quite a bit of theory, but not in a way that is like really like boring and grounded. I I tried to keep it similar to my Twitter feed. So I tried to make it like I didn't want a book that was just very like, oh, woe is me and this happened. And, you know, let's talk about all of these theory and big words and stuff. No, it's literally like all stripped down. Um, I've written it in a way that if somebody wanted to know more about the movement or know more about what we go through, then they can read it. So I didn't want to like restrict it too much for just, you know, a specific demographic. I wanted it to be the type of book that could be referenced by anybody. So it's for people that kind of want to feel like they have a bit of a safe space through literature, but then also for people wanting to learn more about it, mm-hmm. um, they can also read it as well. Perfect. Mm. So I want to get some hot tea on the publishing industry mm-hmm. <laughs> because here's my assumption and you tell me if I'm in the ball mark. Uh-huh. Before this book got picked up, mm-hmm. at least... 
I'm going to say five to 10 people told you it's too niche. Am I close? You are <laughs> absolutely correct. Do you know what? I, I think I must have, um, I must have had meetings with maybe like six or seven publishers maybe about it. And each and every one said, it's too niche. You need to open it up a bit more. Um, we want this to be a book that everybody can read. It should be about all bodies. I said, sis, mm. that's not what we're doing. We need a book. <laughs> but I want there to be a book specifically talking about black plus size women. Black. Not plus size because there are about six or seven influencer books where people are talking about being plus size. That's great. But I want something specifically for us because our struggles are so different to the struggles of white plus size women. So there needs to be something for us. And actually, um, before I went with Hardy Grant, I had a meeting with uh, a well known. Oh my god, you're such an enabler. <laughs> no, this podcast um, needs to be called Who Needs to Be Dragged? Who Needs to Be Dragged? Who Needs to Be Dragged? <laughs> I, I had a, I had a, uh, yeah, an inter- uh, a meeting with a public a publisher who are named after um, a type of bird, and uh, oh, birds. yeah, and uh, we spoke about the book, and you know, I wrote, I had my. Um, I'd written my proposal and everything and they came back and they said, I mean, yeah, we like it, but we want it to be a bit more gossipy and we want you to like, you know, talk about people and we want it to be a bit more scandalous and a bit more open and, you know, it's too niche. We don't, you know, we want you to talk about like the influencer industry in general. And I was like, I actually really wanted to like partner with you on this, but no, I'm not going to do that now. Like it was really disappointing Mm. for me that they wanted to change the direction of the book. But um, I'm really glad that I settled with Hardy Grant. Like they just, they just, they just get it. And it's so rare that you come across publishers who like get it and don't want to change a thing. Like they were very, um, really, really enthusiastic about the book and wanting to like make it true and authentic to myself and all of that stuff. So they've been great amazing well we can't wait to read it um so I want to end on a positive um and I want to ask everyone this what are your kind of your tips or what have you learned about self-love and coming to that acceptance of self-love Steph what's kind of like the things that have really stuck with you over the years um I think one of the things that has really stuck with me is acknowledging that self-love and 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 uh and just getting to a point where you can feel satisfied in yourself is a very long journey and it is not linear. And sometimes I think when we go on this journey to self-love, we expect to love ourselves within like a couple of months or a year or two years at the most. We almost treat it like a weight loss journey. It's like there has to be certain checkpoints that we that we um get in order to love ourselves. And what I've noticed is that there are going to be times when you don't feel beautiful. There are going to be times when you don't feel your best or you wish that you could have a different body part. 
and this is all part of the human experience this is this is stuff that is never going to go away so for me being able to accept that on those days it's it's okay for me to be kind to myself has been so good because I think sometimes with body positivity there's so much emphasis on the positivity like you have to be good you have to practice self-care you have to like write this letter to yourself and say how much you're awesome that's all great but sometimes you are going to feel really rubbish and that is absolutely okay like it doesn't make you a bad person and it's just a case of acknowledging that and being kind to yourself and knowing that the next day you're going to have a great day or next week you're going to have a um a great week so for me it's just learning how to be kinder to myself um that's really helped me on my journey yeah i would definitely agree that that's one of the things i've had to really um build into my idea of what self-acceptance is that it's not like you're one day gonna reach this end of the road and it's like you have arrived yeah. at body positivity you have arrived at self-love and then you would like from that moment on never have a bad day again because that's just in real that's just not realistic and the same goes for mental health that you're not just gonna one day reach this milestone and from then on out everything is sorted that there's constantly going to be ups and downs um and that's okay that's human nature exactly um I think for me it's a combination of two things so one's ownership and then one's just being bold so with ownership it's kind of what you spoke about earlier Steph about saying I am fat and like having power over that word I think when you remove the power there's not an issue like growing up people used to say to me that I had like a big forehead and when I was in school and people would make that joke it would really get me down then once I started saying I had a big forehead no one could chat to me and everyone would be laughing at me and with me and it's like now I don't care big forehead no big forehead I'm here baby I'm beautiful baby so that's, yes. that's one thing <laughs> love to hear it and then the other thing I think is about being bold in the sense of something that I've struggled with is my love handles but even if even when I've lost like loads and loads and loads of weight, I've always like still had them. And it wasn't until mm. I lost loads of weight that I was like, rather just not going. <laughs> and my issue's never been <laughs> my issue's never been like um the size I am, my issue's just always been love handles. Like I just feel like there's something that I attributed a lot of the for a lot of my life and not now to being like disgusting, to not being desirable, to not being nice. So it was kind of mm. like, for me to get out of that space, it helped a lot because I've got a lot of friends around me that don't take bullshit. So my best friend, if I was to show her an outfit and be like, oh, I don't want to wear this because of my love handles, she'd be like, oh, just chill out. For fuck's sake, everyone's got love handles. And like, she just really humbles me. <laughs> <laughs> and when it's yeah. is like that, it's like, oh, okay, like I'm not actually special. This is something that a lot of people have to, to deal with. Do you get what I mean? Mm. And I think what helped me with that was... I would, and this sounds mad, but I do this with a lot of my fears. So like, a lot of things that scare me, I do the same scenario with. But it was like, I would purposely wear stuff that would show my love handles. And I would do it like three or four times. And then when it comes to the fourth time, I don't realise I'm doing it anymore. And I've done that with everything that's like, I find scary. So when I used to be scared of the dark, mm. up until like quite an old age, I would purposely <laughs> sleep in the dark. I mean, I would cry. That's <laughs> good though, like confronting your fears. That's so good. And I think that's just what people need to do. Like my skin, I said I said earlier on, I haven't got my camera right now on, on the Zoom because I've been picking at my face. So like I've got anxiety and when it goes really bad, I pick a lot on my face. So my face will break out and then I'll pick and then I get scars. And then knowing that I'm picking and it's going to get a scar really frustrates me and it really, really like upsets me. I end up being angry at myself, which is why I was like, I don't even want to come on the camera and just be staring at the bloody marks to piss me off. But it's like, 
I made a conscious effort from young that I was never going to make wear makeup to cover them up. Do you get what I mean? Because mm. I knew that once I did that, I'd never be able to get out of that cycle because I'd seen people all around me who maybe didn't have scars but had spots or had acne or had whatever and they'd always cover it up. And to me, it was like, I'd, I need to be bold in whatever my quote-unquote ugliness is. I'm not saying that it makes you ugly to have scars, but for me, that's what it felt like a lot of the time growing up. So, mm. yeah, ownership and being bold is definitely what I would say helped me with my self-love for body positivity. Yes. Uh, similarly, I think that for me, because I've lived in different spaces, some more westernized than others, I think there's always been a battle of trying to cut or feeling like I have to conform. So when I was growing up, it was very much all like, how come you're so skinny? Like you need to put some meat on you or, you know, growing up, I think my nickname was pancakes because my ass was so flat. Um, which obviously is just not something I can help. And then when I moved to the States, it was like, oh, this is perfect. You're skinny, you know, stay this way. And then when I move and my body has naturally changed as I've gotten older. And I think I got to a point, um, and this is where I always bring into context my friend Henry, who's an amazing photographer, who every time I shoot with him, he does not tell me, oh, I've lost weight or, oh, you put on weight or, oh, this scar is here. You know, he always makes me feel extremely beautiful just as I am. Um, Mm. And it's nice to have friends that support you and empower you. But I think it is being, as you said at the very beginning of the podcast, kind of being vulnerable and just saying, like, this is who I am and and, you know, whatever comes at me is going to come at me. But I just need to know that this is who I am and this is who I'm happy being. So, yeah, um, yeah not not giving in to conformity and just kind of trying to create your own standards of what makes you happy, um, I think, is probably the most important thing that I've learned, whether that's about my skin or my weight or yeah. anything. I think that there's such beauty in being um, vulnerable, especially as black women, because especially when it comes to like looks as well, because then we get we get um, we're so used to having to put on a front that we tend to sometimes compartmentalize our insecurities. Mm. And so once we can open up, like break it down and be like, actually, I'm not okay with this I'm not okay with that like with me I don't have a bum and it troubled me for years because I was like (laughs) wait a minute I'm black and I'm plus size I should have a bum but I don't and and I'm just like honestly do you know what to a point it actually made me feel like less of a black woman because I was like Mm. I do not have the attributes that define what a black woman is supposed to look like and I would just like compartmentalize Mm. it and like pretend that um Hmm. No, let me say it. It's fine. I so there was a phase that I went through back when I was in uni. This was in my previous life. Okay, <laughs> my previous life. <laughs> Disclaimer: you know, I haven't changed, a, woman. I there was a trend where people would buy help. They would oh, buy the like you know pads. Yeah. Huh? The cutouts. Sometimes they cut out the ass bits so that it brings your cheeks together. Well, I bought the ones that had like the silicone. <laughs> Girl, when Sil- silicone proper, she was like, "I'm gonna get a silicone by force." In, like the silicone ones that you just put underneath your knickers. Like yeah. I was like, "I'm gonna have a bum by force because I can't be walking around like this." <laughs> and it wasn't until I was what was it? That this is when Oceana was still open in Kingston, and I went to a night out and I was dancing very aggressively, and one. <laughs> 
one fillet just came out. Oh no. no. And you know, no. that's, and I ran to the bathroom and I was sitting in the cubicle, like nearly crying. I picked it up in. and I ran to the bathroom because I was like, fam, I'm, that was a lot of money. I'm not, I will be embarrassed, yeah. but let me be embarrassed in the cubicle. And I really started crying because obviously all my friends had seen it happen and they were like, Steph, what's going on? And what I was is this like, thing that fell out of you? <laughs> it literally just fell out. And I sat there and I was like, do you know what? Let me confront this because I've been trying to hold, like, I've been trying to, like, not think about it and just, you know, pretend to be okay with my body, like, in public. But deep down, I'm harboring such, like, hostility towards certain parts of my body that I don't think is right or I didn't think was, you know, up to what I really wanted. So let me just be vulnerable about it and talk about it or, like, blog about it, write about it and really talk about how I feel and being vulnerable in that moment and you know being honest with myself and saying actually you know not having this body part does or or it used to make me feel less of a woman it allowed me to challenge it instead of hiding it and using things like you know bum pads to hide the problem as opposed to confronting it head on but yeah that was embarrassing man But a learning curve, though. A Very. Curve. That's a how huge learning curve. <laughs> a big curve. <laughs> a big curve. A big one. <laughs> so thank you so, so much, Stephanie. It was amazing to speak to you. Yeah. Um, I think we've all learned so much and just had such an amazing conversation today. So, you know, hopefully people listening will take something away from this. Um, you know, for people that want to find out more, where can they find you? What are your handles, girl? Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, this has been so enlightening and just just safe. It just feels like such a lovely, like, safe space to just chat with fellow black women. It's just, I just, oh, no, I think it's so, <laughs> it's so great. Especially in these times, like, it's really difficult to kind of find these, like, pockets of safe spaces. So I think what you guys are doing is just, like just incredible um so thank you so much for having me on um and my um handles on instagram and twitter are at stephanie yaboa and my website is stephanieyaboa.com so thanks so much for listening guys don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from on instagram we're dope black woman one and on facebook and twitter we're just dope black woman Uh, We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black be black. Blacktastic. But we need Vim, we need, we need Vim and energy. That sounds like a bully, sorry about that.